Welcome to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Tom Adams. I'm here today to bring you the post-cap reaction to Bayern Munich's crazy, crazy, enthralling 3-3 draw against DSC Armenia Bielefeld in what was a very snowy, snowy Allianz Arena in Munich. To round out the scoring in the first half, Mikhail Vlap put home what was a very, very excellent shot from a tight angle. He got in between Buonasar uh, and Nick Lasula and kind of caught Manuel Neuer off guard, buried his shot into the bottom left corner. In the 37th minute, it was Bielefeld's, actually their first goal from a corner kick all season, which was headed home by Amos Piper, the defender, when it was actually sent in by Mikhail Vlap, who had himself an absolute evening in the first half with a goal and an assist to boot before the halftime whistle went. And then on cue, the second half, Lewandowski with the beautiful, beautiful chest con- control from David Alaba's mid-range pass to put Bayern on the board in the 48th minute at 2-1. We didn't even blink our eyes. And then just seconds later, Christian Gabor, who had come on for the injured Ritsu Don uh, in the first half, made it 3-1. to Armenia Bielefeld on a decent break for Bielefeld, which was led by uh, Andreas Vogelsammer, who was marginally, marginally ruled to be just onside in the build-up to a play. He sent in the cross, uh, and obviously Gabor was right there to slot it home from just inside the six-yard box. And It looked like it wasn't going to go all to plan to Bayern Munich, but then Quarantan Tolisso headed home a brilliant Leroy Sané cross in the 57th minute. Uh, and then in the 69th minute, which was easily the goal of the match, Alfonso Davies, uh, I would kind of qualify it as a half volley uh, after Sané had sent in a cross and Bielefeld had cleared it, kind of fell right to him at the edge, on the left-hand side on the edge of Bielefeld's box, and it was a thunderous half volley, and uh, Ortega was basically just rooted to the spot watching that thing go in. There was absolutely no stopping it. And at that point, it really seemed as if Bayern was going to press on and find the fourth goal in the winner, but uh, that wasn't to be, and in, in a very popular theme of this match week in the Bundesliga, it was yet another draw. Uh, between two sides, we saw quite a few of those between the matches on Saturday and Sunday. And um, Of course, there's uh, many, many circumstances. There's a lot of things I will discuss for, for Bayern. But nonetheless, this is a massive, massive point for Bielefeld at the bottom of the table. And this means that Bayern's lead over RB Leipzig at the top of the table is now only five points instead of what could have been seven had Bayern taken full points from the Allianz Arena. So uh, myself... The match has actually just ended, I would say, roughly 10 minutes ago. I've essentially just gone up, had a glass of water, uh, caught my breath for a minute, and just wanted to get straight into it, uh, as I always do, to keep everything very raw, um, you know, to really kind of vent out my my post-match thoughts immediately after. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to wait. I don't want there to be too much of a lag. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of things to, to consider for Bayern. I mean, just days after getting back from the FIFA Club World Cup final uh, in Qatar, and I should say the semifinal and the final, we all know that uh, the circumstances regarding our traveling there were made very difficult when the players were all stuck on the plane in, in Berlin straight after the win in Hertha Berlin uh, last Friday at the Olympiastadion, where they were essentially had to spend the night on the plane. I think they were on it for 14 hours. Miscommunication between the traffic control towers and the officials at uh, the airport in Berlin, and so they left much, much later. Obviously not the start they wanted to have uh, going to the FIFA Club World Cup, and then 
you know, playing in beautiful weather, defeating Al Ali, uh, the Egyptian side in the semifinal, and then Tigres, uh, UANL in the final, uh, just Thursday, just a few days before uh, before this match, which is why the match was on a Monday for only the second time in Bayern Munich's history. <laughs> so obviously, our players are not fresh and. You know, we have the coronavirus situations with Javi Martinez, Leon Goretzka, and most recently Thomas Muller. Uh, in addition, Jerome Boateng, the unfortunate circumstance with his uh, his ex-girlfriend. You know, he's been out for a while as well. He only just resumed uh, to training today. Of course, everyone here at BFW, we, we really hope that he's doing all right as well as uh, his family members and his ex-girlfriend's family members. That's a terrible circumstance, but case in point it just there's so many things that were going against Bayern and I think I speak for most of us when we saw the starting lineup you know the back line of Buana Sar, Nicolas Sula, Luca Hernandez, Alfonso Davies and then Corentin Tolisso and David Alba as our midfield you know kind of left scratching our heads yes we have lots of injuries and you know uh, coronavirus quarantine situations in the squad but this probably wasn't the lineup that most of us would have been selected with the players that were available uh, to continue on in that theme, we saw Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman uh, as the attacking midfielders. And in between those two was Eric Maxim Chouapumoteng just behind Robert Lewandowski, uh, which was a, a bit unusual. Uh, I think a lot of us expected to perhaps see Jamal Musiala in that spot uh, or perhaps even someone else. But uh, slim pickings, I guess, for Hansi Flick. You know, I'm never going to doubt any decision that he's making. He's the one... Uh, who's with the boys and training day in and day out, seeing how everyone's performing. Uh, obviously, I didn't mention either the injuries sustained uh, in the Club World Cup final to Serge Gnabry, so that was another guy that was missing from today. Um, and so, and, and obviously, the snow just seemed to play a huge factor as well. And live-tweeting this and trying to cover everything, I mean, it was pretty much the same thing as the match at Hertha Berlin last week where you know the snow was coming down so thick and starting to cover the pitch. It was very difficult uh, to kind of calibrate our play to the conditions, and it was very difficult to keep track of the ball at times, which actually prompted a switch uh, to a yellow and orange ball uh, midway through the first half. But, you know, just from the get-go, that was something that played directly uh, into Bielefeld's hands uh, and, and with the game plan that Uwe Neuhaus, you know, had selected for this because he knew Bayern were... You know, kind of hit in the injury department. They had a lot of people out. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure if he would have known the weather report, but again, like I said, it's something that played right into Bielefeld's hand. I mean, and now that I'm thinking of it, uh, when I go to write the piece that associates this episode, I will try to remember to uh, embed the tweet that I had tweeted out earlier. Uh, it was just before halftime or halftime, I believe. Uh, Phil Bonney was talking about it. You know, it showed the average positions of all of the Bielefeld players. Uh, both with the ball and without the ball. And you could see that at both times, essentially, Fabian Kloss was the only Bielefeld player that was even crossing into Bayern's half. So that just gives you an idea uh, of Neuhaus's game plan and how compact uh, and how tight he wanted to keep everything. You know, between uh, Michael Vlaff, Ritsu Doan, Andreas Vogelsamer, Manuel Prito, uh, Fabian Kunta, there was hardly any space uh, ahead of Bielefeld's back line for Bayern to play in. And with the snow, we saw a lot of times it was slowing the ball down when it was ground passes. So, you know, Bayern really had to calibrate their passes. And with such tight spaces, it made short passes, ground passes very difficult. And in that same respect, when Bayern would have to play more direct and long balls, 
you know, there was it's very hard to anticipate the way the ball is going to move when it lands from an aerial pass because the surface is so slick, getting bogged down with snow. So it was just very difficult for Bayern to play the type of way that they normally like to play and just made life very, very difficult and played right into Bielefeld's hands. And, you know, it shouldn't be an excuse for the professionals who have, you know, the cutting-edge technologies to recover and to adapt and everything. But, you know... Bayern have, are coming from an environment where they just played two matches in beautiful, beautiful, excuse me, summer weather in Doha, Qatar, and you know, as the commentators for this match had mentioned, Bielefeld had been training in the snow for several days, so uh, perhaps their bodies were just a bit more used to it, a bit more adjusted uh, and switched on at that moment, and obviously that's going to be a psychological effect in their favor when they know that you know the conditions are going to severely affect the way that Bayern Munich wants to play and you know, get them out of their comfort zone and you know, really force them to, to play a different style. And you combine that with a very makeshift lineup. I thought one of the things that we really need to discuss, discuss is just the miscommunications between uh, the players in the back line. This is no indictment on, on Zula or Hernandez or Davies or, uh, well, actually, I thought Davies was actually one of the best performers today, uh, but nonetheless, or Buonasar. I, I mean, like, everything was going against them, but for all the situations, especially in the first half, uh, for Vlap's goal and for Piper's goal, it just seemed like there was uh, miscommunications on the first, in particular between Buonasar and Nicolas Sula. It just seemed like Vlap was just standing right in between the two of them, and Saar and Sula kind of looked at each other and didn't really know who should have been closing down the space first and who should have been going with the runners or who should have been covering other space. But, you know, for that couple of split seconds when you're trying to figure that out after the pass has been played in, it's too late, and Manuel Neuer was watching the goal, or excuse me, watching the shot go into the bottom left corner of his net. So uh, that was just one thing I saw. It was uh, glaringly obvious. Uh, you combine the conditions with the fact that I don't even know if we've ever seen this back line before uh, in any competition this season, whether it be the day after Pokal, earlier rounds before we were knocked out, uh, Champions League after we had already progressed or or, excuse me, clinched winning the group and clinched progression into the knockout stages. But it just, and, and then again, on the corner, the commentators were discussing this. It seemed like Bayern were set up uh, in a zonal marking system for the corner in the 37th minute uh, where Piper scored and, you know, put home Bielefeld second. It was Nicolas Sula. He kind of looked like he didn't know whether he should continue going uh, with, with the runner or stick with his man. And he was kind of slow to get to the header, and, and Piper was right there. I can't recall off the top of my head uh, who was on the other side of Sula. Um, I guess the player that uh, the Piper would have been standing between him and Sula. I'm not sure who it was. Of course, now that I'm trying to speak of it, uh, I'm drawing a blank, and I don't have highlights in front of me. But uh, And then you could see the way Neuter reacted, that it should have been much, much better from a defensive standpoint. And you know, that's where you, you can get into the argument of defensive zones versus man-to-man. -man. You know, at least if you're man-to-man, -man, you pick out who you're supposed to cover. You, you track them no matter what, and, you know, you have to put your hand up if your man beats you to the ball and puts it in the back of the net or gets a solid chance off. Uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of how I stand on that. But even, even then... Um, in addition to those two goals, I mean, I thought there were situations where uh, the communication should have been far better, and I think it's blatantly obvious uh, that once the the second half started, yes, the pitch had been cleared up. By the way, shout out to Hermann Gerland. Uh, if you were watching and tuned in just before the second half had started, you would have seen him on the ESPN Plus coverage out there with uh, with one of those shovels helping clear off the pitch. And 
it, it essentially looked like a completely different pitch in the second half. There was practically hardly any snow left on the pitch, which was better for Bayern so they could start to play their style of football the way they want to play. And I think it was clearly evident uh, that that was going to be the case. And when they came out, uh, you could just tell that they were going to start to boss the second half and, and try and fight their way back into it, and that's exactly what they did uh, with Lewandowski's goal. His 25th of the season, I believe it was. Fantastic, fantastic lobbed pass from Alba. Uh, my favorite part about this was the chest control from Lewandowski and then volleying it home. Bottom left corner, such a striker's goal, such a Lewandowski goal. <laughs> and as I mentioned, we hardly blink, and I'm still finishing up actually typing a tweet about that goal and Gabor, the substitute, as I mentioned, who had come on for the injured Ritsu Dawn, was putting it in the back of the net. And then I'm watching the VAR uh, replay to show that uh, Vogelsammer was just being kept onside by Luca Hernandez's right boot, I believe it was. And I thought, oh my god, here we go again. We get back into the game and then we just implode. But that wasn't necessarily the case. I thought Bayern still responded very, very well uh, to conceding that third goal, <laughs> with all things considered. Um, you know, at that point, we had kind of put the first half behind us. Obviously, it was kind of crap, and, you know, the conditions just made everything that much worse on top of the fact that we had had almost no rest after playing at the other end of the uh, the globe, pretty much. Um, and then, obviously, uh, only one sub, the only sub from Bayern, Joshua Kimmich coming on for Buonasar in a like-for-like -like switch at the, at the right-back position seemed to have changed things quite a bit. I thought he was far more inventive. Uh, than Saar was you know, oh I hate to just get on a player's case and you know I don't want to sit here and just be a little Buona Saar you know I think his chances of Bayern have been few and far between and uh, I'll give him a little bit of slack because it seems like the situations that he comes and steps into are uh, a little bit difficult and you know uh, it's not easy to step into a, a makeshift back line and makeshift midfield just ahead of him and you know put in a stellar five-star performance but I mean, I think we can all agree that once Kimmich came on, uh, that right channel got a lot more efficient. We looked a bit more organized. Uh, I thought it actually, in a way, kind of freed up Davies. I thought that he really came alive in the second half, and uh, a graphic in the second half had definitely showed uh, that the majority of our success was coming down the left channel, especially in the second half, through both uh, Alfonso Davies and Kingsley Coman. I thought they were both constantly willing to take players on, get to the byline, and whip in a cross, and you know, I think that Bielefeld knew that that was going to be the case. I thought Piper and Nilsson did fantastically to, to clear the danger most often. Uh, and Manuel Prito, and as I said, uh, Fabian Kunza keeping those spaces tight just ahead of them. Um, so, you know, it was always going to, to be difficult to get across through all those bodies and find something. But, um, you know, that's what Bayern had to do. The onus was on them to come on and, you know, uh, challenge to get back into the game, and uh, that's exactly what Tolisso did in the 57th minute. A great-looking cross from Leroy Sané, uh, he, as he always does, Ryan Robin-esque, cutting in from the right onto his left foot, sending in that cross, uh, as he always likes to do. Quarantan Tolisso, I thought that was great for him to get that goal. I didn't think he was having the best outing. Took, I actually thought he took quite a beating out there. He's easily one of the most fouled players that you know, in the freezing temperatures when the weather is absolute crap like that, a lot of those little uh, nicks can sting a lot more and, you know, leave a bit more of an impact. But he pressed on you know, with the opportunity he was given. I was glad to see him get that goal. And at that point, he just always knew that, or always felt, I should say, that Byron was going to come back uh, and get the third goal and perhaps even find the fourth. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But, 
I mean, we could talk for ages about Alfonso Davies' half volley in the 69th minute to level things. I mean, at that point, Bayern were on the front foot. They were dominating. They were bossing possession. They had been reorganized. Bielefeld were pretty much completely stuck inside their own half. I will give them credit and say that when uh, Sergio Cordova uh, and Neil Seufert came on, I believe it was for uh, Mikhail Vlap and uh, Andreas Vogelsammer at the time, I thought Cordova, I, th- I thought the sort of the idea behind that uh, from Neuhaus's perspective was to add another player uh, in Cordova, that is, uh, in Bielefeld's attack that could kind of hold play up just a little bit. At the time, uh, Fabian Kloss was still on. He didn't exit the pitch until late in the second half when uh, Mike Van de Hearn came on and replaced him. So that's what I think Neuhaus was thinking there. Cordova, someone who can do defensive work on the ball. He got free uh, several times in Bayern's half and caused caused loads of trouble. It was actually a chance, I believe in somewhere between the 70th and 80th minute, where he had gotten past Sula. He had broke the offside trap in the high line and it looks like he was kind of going for a far post chip as Manuel Neuer was kind of scrambling as he was off his line, but completely whiffed it. Uh, and it was 100% a let off for Bayern. But, you know, other than that, he got free several times. Sula did well to get back and cover on a handful of, ca- of occasions, but he was definitely a very troublesome player when he came on and uh, caused a lot of problems and, you know, definitely was kind of countering the fact that Kimmich on that right-hand side was, was going forward a lot more as Bayern were pressing for that third goal and potentially even the fourth. Um, so it became clearly evident at a certain point that Bielefeld were more than happy just to settle for the point uh, and you know not really bother committing too many numbers forward to try and find a winner themselves. I think they always knew that you know, especially after the second and third goal from Bayern went in, that they would be lucky to get out with a point, uh, and, and that that became clearly evident, as I said. But unfortunately for Bayern, we couldn't we couldn't find that fourth goal. Plenty of chances. I thought at the end we were just getting a little bit indecisive as far as should we just put a ball into the box or should we, you know, try and keep it tidy, play the extra pass, wriggle some space, and try and get a a cross from or excuse me, a shot from distance off or you know, a pass that would thread the needle. But, you know, there's always pros and cons to both. If you send a, a long ball in or a cross in and it gets cleared, Bielefeld could always break. So it, difficult situation. It's hard to tell, hard to calibrate, especially with the the personnel that Bayern had out there. But, yeah, it just on the main, I guess I'm sitting here reflecting, saying this wasn't the worst thing in the world. You would hate to sit here and say that for professional the weather would have that much to do with it, but I think it's it's like clear. The first half, it just feels like I wasn't really watching, uh, you know, a top flight football match, if that makes sense, without any sort of indictment on any of the players on the pitch. It just felt a bit bizarre, uh, as it kind of did uh, in Berlin last week. Although I, I would say the personnel that we had was a bit stronger, the starting eleven uh, for that occasion. So I think we looked a bit better on the main, despite having our defensive issues. Uh, and it got really scrappy at the end. But this one just felt a lot different. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel the same. I know on Twitter I saw a lot of comments that kind of reflected that thought. But, um, yeah, you don't want to dwell too much on that. I mean, everyone's out there. Bielefeld were out there, too. They're not using it as an excuse, as an excuse obviously. So they were exposed to the conditions. So no excuse in, in, in that respect. But uh, it's funny, you know, on this on this podcast before, I've heard Jake several times, the the host of Bavarian Podcast, where he works. He speaks about uh, the fact that Bayern always 
have this tendency to start poor in the first half and then kind of crank it up a notch and get back into the match in the second half. And, you know, I was kind of laughing thinking about that when I saw, when I was reacting to Fonzie's uh, goal go in and, and tying the match at 3-3, I was like, just to be a fly on the wall to hear what Hansi Flick, Herman Garland, and some of the players have to say at halftime to make those adjustments because clearly it, it's something that he's very good at and it's something that Byron is very good at responding to you know, the first half proceedings. And it, it's just funny to kind of think back to all the times we've gone down or you know made bad mistakes in the first half and then really kind of uh, righted the ship, so to speak, in the second half. Uh, but as I think about that, maybe we'll see some of that in the upcoming Amazon Prime uh, all-access documentary that's supposed to come out uh, at, after the end of the season. So that will be very interesting, kind of a shameless plug there that just popped into my head, even though we at Bavarian Podcast Works have absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with Amazon Prime. We're just as excited as fans as, as everybody else is. But nonetheless, kind of trying to struggle and, and think of a way to, to kind of conclude this I mean, a 3-3 draw against Bielefeld, on paper, you would kind of say, oh my god, you know, bleh, let's just forget this, go on to the next one. But with all things considered, the fight back that we showed, uh, the personnel that we chose, given the circumstances that we have, credit to Bielefeld, I thought they put up a tremendous fight, I thought they did very well, I thought they were brave, took their chances, uh, well deserving of a point. Uh, perhaps not three points on the overall balance as Byron fought back in the second half, but we'll take the point, get out of this this crappy weather. Uh, we definitely need to uh, rest a little bit, regenerate, recoup, get ready for what's going to be a very, very difficult matchup against a very inform Eintracht Frankfurt at the Deutsche Bank Park, I believe it is. Sorry, I was about to say the Commerce Bank Arena, but I know it's their venue has, uh, or their stadium rather, has switched names. Obviously, Adi Hooter has his side playing very well at the moment, so that is not going to be a, a, a very easy task whatsoever. Andre Silva is in fantastic form. But to kind of segue from that, hopefully we will have this week, we are planning on maybe having a full episode if our schedules match up between myself, Tom Adams, uh, Jake Jefferson Fenner, and Chuck Smith, if we can all get together, uh, during which we would obviously do a Dare Ausblick previewing uh, the big encounter at Eintracht Frankfurt um, and then looking ahead to our Champions League clash away at Lazio for the first leg of the round of 16 next week. But that is going to do it for this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, the post-match show for the 3-3 draw against Armenia Bielefeld. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform or whatever you use to listen to this podcast. Uh, be sure to check us out at TommyAdams71 on Twitter and my partners in crime of Bavarian Podcast Works at Jefferson Fenner and at The Barrel Blog for Jake Fenner and Chuck Smith. Uh, until next time, which, as I said, will be either a full episode with a Dare Ausblick or just a Dare Ausblick for Eintracht Frankfurt. Auf Wiedersehen. Thanks for listening.